read the Word of God to you this morning from Luke chapter 14. If you want to open your Bible, starting in verse 12, it'll also be on the screen there. If you have an app on your phone, uh, read it yourself as well. Uh, it says this, And he said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Crosswinds family. It's good to see you all, both you here and those online at home. We're glad that you're here with us today. If you're a guest today, I want to invite you to our family dinner. See, worship is supposed to be, on Sunday morning, like a, a family dinner. It's a time we all get together with family that we haven't seen all week, and we catch up. I love how everybody just kind of hangs out together before we start and, and after. It's a time to get some hugs. It's a time to give some encouragement, an encouraging word to each other. It, it's, it's a time to feast on, on God's word and, and celebrate his goodness to us all. And, and we do that with uh, gratitude in song. A, a meal is serving up song with the, the rest of the praise teams here. And, and our prayers. And Erica did a great job of, of leading us in the, in the Lord's Supper. And, and so it's, it, it's time now to be filled up and nourished so that we have the strength to, to, to go through our weeks. You know, Crosswinds, uh, it's important that you're here every week for your own sake. But not just for your own sake, it's for the sake of everybody else here. We all work together here to feed everyone. You know, our first impression team with, with Kathy is out there and Troy making us, everybody feel welcome and important and that they have a seat at the table. And our hospitality team, uh, Gene was out there making us feel comfortable, giving us a little donut or a, a little cookie or a, a snack or some coffee to feel comfortable before we eat. And, and our praise team increases our appetite as Emil and, and the ladies are, 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 are te teaching us about Jesus in song and through their prayers. And our tech team makes sure that, that the table is all set out beautifully and arranged nicely so that it's attractive and, and everything is conducted without distraction. And the, the children's leaders and myself, we work hard all week to prepare the meal. Uh, the children's teachers, they cut it into little bite-sized pieces, and they're back there giving it to the kids right now. And, and I'm going to give you some meat right now, I hope. And uh, uh, we, we, that's our job. Um, it takes all of us to make this dinner, doesn't it? To happen successfully, it, it takes us all. The whole congregation is, is to cover the cost of this share meal. And, and, and they're also to invite guests. And, and then we all participate in showing love to one another at the table, don't we? That's what a church should be like Sunday morning. It, it should be a place where everybody is pitching in and, and, and serving one another. Now, some people um, are, are coming to dinner not very often or, or, or sporadically. Actually, uh, statistics in the United States is people come to church maybe once a month. And, and, um, uh, but healthy family members are, are the ones that come and eat with the family all the time and, and, and come to help serve others. I, I see their lives and, and, and their lives become healthy because they're eating all the time. They don't just come when it's convenient or, or when they feel like they need it or when something exciting is going on at the church. They have the routine or the habit of eating with the family each week because that's where our spiritual life is found. 
Just like with our earthy meals, we can't remember every meal we've eaten, can you? I mean, can you remember what you ate last Sunday for dinner? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. We don't remember that, right? But you will remember if you're not eating. If you're not eating, uh, you're going to remember because it's going to have a negative effect on your life. And so the habit, no matter what's going on, of being together, being in fellowship with others is going to feed you, and, and, and so it's very important. Um, and and uh, if you're trying to have gospel conversations, inviting people to know Jesus, and, and you're not committed to being in fellowship and being with us, it's like selling tickets to a place you've never been. Honestly, how, why are they going to come? If you look hungry, why would anybody else want to come and feed here? If you're out in the world looking hungry, uh, that's what Jesus is, parables, inviting us to a meal. And, and we all need to be eating God's word every day so that we look fat and happy because of it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of fat. Actually, I'm not fat. I'm just uh, gravity challenged. And um, if, I, if I'm taller, maybe 10 feet would be okay. No, but... Um, <laughs> You know, sometimes people come to the family dinner to feed on the wrong things. We, we come to feed on the wrong things. We come to feed on motivational sermons to be entertained or to hear good music or, or to be around a big crowd. But friends, you're going to starve on that kind of stuff. We are to feed on the love of God, the love that he has for us, and the love that we have for each other. That is what gives us the fuel to go through our weeks. I was at a conference this week, and a, a pastor humbly shared a mistake he made. The youth group he was leading was much smaller after the pandemic, and he was discouraged. And when the students all came in, and there was just a few of them, he said to the students, nobody's here. And after the class, a wise mother took him to task and said, are you saying my daughter's nobody? Friends, it doesn't matter how many people are at the dinner. It matters that you're here. It matters that you are here. You're somebody. You're somebody that God loves. And he promised to show up where two or more are gathered in his name. God is really somebody, and he loves you, and he has invited you to his table because he wants to fellowship with you. So please never be discouraged when there's a small number at our family dinners because we are going to feast. We are going to get fat so others can see us and get hungry and then come follow us to where the food is. For us to grow as a family, you must come and eat whatever God is serving that week. I, I could be a gourmet cook, but if you eat like a model and you look anorexic and you just sniff at the food or you just seek to, seek to eat the expensive you know, elf food they have at the fancy places, you're going to starve. Nobody's going to come looking for food where you eat. If I'm hungry and I want to eat, I go around and I follow fat guys. Those guys know where to eat, don't they? They're not eating that elf food, you know, the little pieces that they give you. That's not what they're eating. They're eating down at the family place down the street where there are big portions of comfort food. That's where they're eating. When, when you go to those restaurants full of models and everybody's concerned about how they look and they're eating this little elf food, that's a place you're going to starve, friends. And you're going to spend a lot of money. That, but when you go to the casual Greek restaurant down the street with all the fat people and their families, where everybody's happy, they're smiling, that's where you're going to get some nourishment, right? Just listen to what the fat people are ordering, and you'll be well fed. You know, I want our Crosswinds family to be fat and happy. 
because we're feasting on the riches of God's word about his love for us and serving up that love to one another in big portions. Beloved, Crosswinds has a lot of fat people here. We have many faithful disciples of Jesus Christ here. For a disciple, I use an acrostic, to be a good disciple, you need to be fat. You need to be faithful, you need to be available, and you need to be teachable. That's what I mean by fat. You need to be faithful, available, and teachable. I wasn't insulting any of you. Um, and I, I invite you, so that you become fat, to, to come faithfully to family dinners each week. I, I invite you to make yourself available to serve others here. And I invite you to be teachable when you hear God's word as it's served up each week. Digest it. Take some notes. Maybe listen to it again throughout the week to, 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 to really take it in on our podcast. And, and share those podcasts or, or share it in conversations, uh, gospel conversations with others. And, and friends, if you do that, you'll become fat and happy. In our text today, Jesus gave a parable around a meal. And, and so what I'd like us to do right now is to, to chew for a while on that parable and be nourished by it. Uh, see, Jesus is telling us, I believe in it, how we should approach our family dinner. So get your forks ready, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And what it says there is the first most necessary thing for a family dinner is you need to invite people to eat, right? So, so Jesus gives us some instructions here for the invitation. He says, also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brother or your relatives or your rich neighbor, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. See, Jesus is talking to a man who had invited him over for a meal, and that man was the head of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were not very fair, you see. Did you get it? Okay, anyways, um, they had invited Jesus for the, I'm like the, the dad joke guy, okay, because um, that's my role. Anyways, they, they invited Jesus for the wrong motives. They didn't invite Jesus to feed him, but to trap him in what he might say or what he might do wrong. They, they meant to trap him in their religion. And Jesus went to the, see them because he loved this man and he wanted to feed him. If you're going to be a successful disciple of Christ, you must learn to accept invitations and give invitations. Most important skill as a disciple, to accept invitations and to give an invitation. The model we use to explain um, how we grow as a church here is called the four fields. And it's just a visual picture of how Jesus grew his church. And it's an agricultural model of going into an empty field, planting seeds of the gospel, and, and helping those seeds to grow. But friends, food has to be grown before we eat our meal, right? So if we're going to grow, um, we, we need to get to that first field, right? The first field's the empty field, and the empty field represents a human relationship. To, 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 to get into that field, you either need to accept an invitation or give an invitation into somebody's life. And before the gospel can ever be sown into someone, you, you need to do this. You need to invite someone into your life or, or receive somebody that invites you into their life. You have to choose to enter their life. You know, I spend a lot of time every week uh, preparing a gospel meal for you. Sometimes 20, 25 hours or more. But if no one is invited, no one gives an invitation to come eat with us. We've, we've lost an opportunity as a family, haven't we? 
Oh, you might get fed a little bit if you, if you just come, but you'll become a fussy eater, judging what the cook is cooking every week if you're not inviting. But if you bring hungry people here that are uh, uh, attracted by your fatness, you're going to want to really sit down and eat with them. You're going to pay attention more to the sermon because you want to be able to answer their questions about it. You're going to be more concerned that the whole meal goes right, and so you might help out and, and volunteer to help out so, so that everything is prepared just right for your guests. And, and Jesus now is going to give us some directions about who to invite. Before he gives us the who, though, he says something much more important. He says this. He says, when you invite. If you're going to be a disciple, the when is more important than the who. For it's a foregone conclusion that disciples are going to invite. In the four fields, you have to go into the field first before anything grows. And if you're not going, to, um, going into the field, or if you're not accepting invitations or giving invitations, nothing will grow in the field. As a disciple who makes disciples, our number one job is to learn to make good invitations. With evangelism, everybody gets worried about it. They get all concerned about what they're going to say. But what they're worried about is sowing. And because they're worried about what they're going to sow, they never enter the field. But you can be a lousy sower and a good inviter and be a very fruitful disciple. Sowing is not hard. Any ape can do it. I'm proof. Jesus told us in his parable that it's not about the sower. It's about the seed. It's about the goodness of the seed. And it's also about the, the soil or the heart that it goes into. So the invitation is much more important because we have the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and we need to get in that invited into a lot of hearts. For us to have successful family dinner, our hospitality is much more important than the quality of the meal. Our, our hospitality is, you know, I, I know, I remember more a mediocre meal in the presence of good company more than I remember a gourmet meal alone, right? Don't you? Remember more a mediocre meal in the presence of good company. So be good company and invite. The, the biblical word hospitality actually means, translated from the Greek, Love for strangers. In, in the first century, travelers were very vulnerable. There was not a lot of fancy hotels or, or restaurants, and there were robbers and many others that would take advantage. And so inviting them in for a meal, inviting them to stay over, was a huge expression of love. And, and travelers were, were very grateful for that invitation. In Romans 12, 13, the Apostle Paul gives us the instruction that we are to be people that are people that make invitations. We, we're people of hospitality. We are to give hospitality to those who are traveling through our lives. It says this in, in Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, love for strangers. To be a good inviter, you must be a giving and you must be a generous person. And not just to the people in your own family and, and not just to the people in your own church, but those outside the church. See, most of us are hospitable to our families, and we're hospitable to our friends. But I want you to look closely at the instruction Jesus gives in his parable to the Pharisee. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brother or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Jesus gives us a do not here. 
doesn't he? A do not. And when he gives us a do not, we should take it seriously. I mean, if, if God is telling us not to do something and we do it, aren't we in rebellion or sin against him? And if you only invite into your life those who you are comfortable with, your family, your friends, and those you want to impress, are you following God's design? Now, language is very important here. His word is not saying never have your family and friends over. So you don't have to cancel the invitations for Thanksgiving. Have your family and friends over. We all naturally do that. That's good, okay? So invite your friends and family over. What Jesus is saying, and he's trying to teach his disciples, is they are to give special attention to inviting strangers into that. Inviting strangers. We're a family here. We invite strangers. We have love for strangers. We invite other people here. Most people have a natural habit of spending time with family and friends. But for a disciple, it needs to become our habit to do what is not natural, to invite new people into our relational table. It's not natural because most people in this world practice a kind of transactional love with their family and friends. There's a mutual benefit to the effort of loving someone. I will do good for you and you will do good for me. Who we invite into our lives shows the condition or motive of our heart towards God. Jesus is saying not to be in the habit of inviting friends, not to be in the habit of inviting friends and and just friends and family over because they're likely to repay you with a meal or some other kind of benefit. And that's not real love. That's that's kind of like a business transaction if you expect something in return. Real love gives without the expectation of repayment. Often with friends and families, we are bargaining with our love. And because we are bargaining with love, we often don't even truly love them either. And Jesus wants us to learn to love strangers so we learn how to love better and then we'll love our family and friends even better. Jesus is saying, It's wrong to only associate and be kind with those people who can only advance us or give us a benefit. And that's exactly what the Pharisee did with him. He invited Jesus over because Jesus was a popular rabbi. He was popular with all the people. Thus, it gave him some street cred to have Jesus over. But he also invited his Pharisee buddies over and and, and set Jesus up to make a theological mistake so that he would look good in front of all his Pharisee religious homies and, and, and There was not love for Jesus in what what he did, in this invitation for Jesus. Um, Jesus was a traveling stranger with with no place to lay his head. But the Pharisee's invitation was about advancing himself socially. And Jesus sees through the the fakeness of this pharisaical kind of love, kindness, only for the sake of personal advantage. Jesus had taught his own disciples something similar to what he's trying to teach the Pharisee. He said this, but love your enemies. Do good and lend. Expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. You know, the Pharisees, they were thought to be very godly men, But they had not learned to love like the God they said they worshipped. Love was a transaction, not a free invitation. Friends, when there is no apparent benefit in the transaction, you're showing love the way God shows love to us. 
And when you do that, you make people hungry for God because you're displaying that you are God's sons and daughters. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Are you? It's not easy. It's not natural to be kind to the ungrateful and evil. Do you give an invitation to your home for a meal for those that you are not especially fond of? Those whose social and political beliefs are different than yours? You know, those people whose behaviors or customs make you uncomfortable or, or maybe they even disgust you? Now, maybe you don't have the ability right now because of your age or your station life to have people over to your home for dinners, but, but what about your coworkers? Do you invite the person struggling on the job or, or struggling in their personal life to lunch? Do you have time for them or only those that advance your career? At, at school, do you go and sit down or invite, your, invite them to come sit down with you, that socially awkward kid, that new kid, the, the one that they're making fun of? Are you inviting them? Or are you always trying to sit with the popular kids or inviting them to sit with you? In your neighborhood, do you just invite over other Christian families to your barbecues? Or, or do you invite people with different cultures and different races and, and different sexual preferences? See, because only inviting and being kind to people of a similar social status or above can, can just be a transaction instead of Christ-like love. Friends, I am, I am glad that Jesus loved me. I did not have his status. He's a perfect man. I'm not. A perfect man from heaven. I, I have nowhere near his intelligence or, or riches, and yet he came and he sat at my table. He invited me into an intimate relationship with him and his father. I had nothing to offer him at all, but he calls me his friend. Friends, that's real love. And he has offered that same amazing love to you. And when we love up expectation like him, they're invited into the gospel. Friends, if, if you're not making invitations or receiving invitations from others without a benefit, can you say you're one of his disciples? Are you acting like a son or daughter of God. See, the word Pharisee means separate. They kept to their own because they were holy and everybody else was kind of vile and unclean to them. Is that your attitude towards others? I, I know people that say they are Christians, but they don't come to family dinners or they don't, they don't come to church because they don't like the people at church. I hear that all the time. I, I don't like church people. Friends, you don't have to like me. But if you're his disciple, God's word says you have to love me. It's not about preference, friends. It, 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 you don't have to like everything everybody does. You don't have to like their behaviors. But Jesus commands us to love them. How can you say you love them if you won't invite them or, or come and, and enter into their field of relationship? How can you say you love them? The bride of Christ is, is the church. Jesus loves his bride. He wants to be intimate with his bride. Jesus said the church is his body. We're not to hate our own bodies. He doesn't hate his own body. He loves his own body. We are to do the same with the church. Jesus is teaching us that, uh, that the Pharisee love is, is, is about our preferences and what we receive back from the relationship. It, it's about 
It's not about that, though. Love is about what you give. And, and Jesus challenges us all here with a big but. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. In other words, just don't invite the people you like into your field. Instead, get in the habit of inviting the rest of the mess. You know, we say Crosswinds is like the land of misfit toys. We want more misfits here, right? In invite the rest of the mess. When Jesus gave a feast, when, when someone uh, gave a feast in, in ancient times, they were sacrificing a lot. They, they were sacrificing their time and, and, and their money. Just like today, hospitality is not cheap. Have you seen the prices of groceries? It, it, it's not cheap. Um, hospitality is inconvenient. You have to clean up your house, and, and you have to spend time preparing the food. It, it, it's work. It's work to do hospitality. Being a host takes effort. Now, if you have a family, there should be some people to help you, but not always. Um, hopefully, your family will appreciate you and, and compliment you, but, but not always. And maybe your family will chip in for the cost of the meal, but not always. I think we all have some family and friends that go to the bathroom when the check comes and we're out to dinner. Or, or, or ignore the conversation about chipping in for the meal. We may have family and friends that disappear quickly when it's time to clean up or they pretend not to notice what's happening. They're too busy in conversation. And they finally notice when you're all done. But if you forgive them because they are family or good friends, don't you? you? You forgive them because they're family or good friends and because you enjoy their company. But Jesus is asking us to do something even higher here, is to invite the poor. Invite the poor. Those you can never be paid back from. They, they don't have the ability to pay you back. Invite the crippled. Those that are not even healthy enough to help you clean up. You can't even point them out and say, to, to make yourself look good for doing all the work, you can't even point them out and say, look at what they're not doing. That guy in the wheelchair, get going. They, you, you can't even do that to them because you'll look bad. Jesus says, invite the blind, the, the blind ones that can't see all the effort and the work that you put into the dinner and give you praise and compliments. Invite the lame ones, those ones that are unable to build you up, to, to give you words of encouragement or do anything for you. That's who Jesus is telling us to invite. Now, when we invite, when it's hard like that, Jesus is teaching us something. He's teaching us the joy and the freedom of freely giving love away. That's what he's teaching us. That's what he's trying to teach the Pharisee here. He said that, didn't he? Didn't Jesus say it's, it's better to give than to receive? Didn't, didn't Jesus say that? Actually, Jesus never spoke those words Throughout the Gospels, the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, 35, giving credit to Jesus. But, but let's look at what he really said. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Blessed in the Greek means happier, happier. Uh, and, and, and that similar idea is all throughout Scripture. And Jesus is reminding the Pharisee that giving freely with love is for our benefit. Because we are happy or happier when we give freely than we, when we make love a transaction. We, we are happier when we give love freely than when we make love a transaction. When our love becomes a transaction, it becomes stressful. It becomes harmful to our lives. We can feel resentful. We can feel angry. We can feel insulted. We even get hurt. 
And often when we don't get what we want from others, uh, we try to make them hurt worse. There's a lot of sin around giving love away as a transaction. Transactional love has a lot of emotional baggage to it. It can even make us resentful and judge God. It can make us step away from his table and his people. The Bible says God is love. It does not say love is a transaction. It says love is a decision. That's what the Bible is saying to us all the time. God has decided to love us because that is who he is. He is the host of the universe. And, and we don't elevate his social status by coming to him. We, we don't help his needs by, by coming to church. He, he, he does not feel better of himself based on how many more people are praising him. He chooses to love us, friends, because he loves us. He's the host with the most, the most love in the universe. His joy is multiplied in his love for us. It just increases. He doesn't give anything away. It just increases. Jesus wants to share. He wants us to share in the joy that his father has. And he says this. He says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. We will be happier in life when we realize people can't repay our love. We'll, we'll be much happier in life when we realize that people can't repay our love. Looking for repayment from people will always end up in disappointment, even from the best of them, even to our closest friends and family. You know why? Because we're all selfish sinners. We are. We're all selfish sinners. And we will fail back or fail at, at paying back the debt that we feel we're, that they feel we're owed or, or vice versa. We will, they will fail in paying back the debt that we feel we are owed from them. They're, they're going to. That, that's just a foregone conclusion. Friends, I, I never loan people money anymore. Doing that was always a disappointment. I'd give money away. If you need some money, you know, come to me for a loan. I, I, I will give you what I can afford to part with, and I will consider it a gift. And I'm happy. I'm happy with that arrangement. The Bible tells me I'd be foolish to give you a loan. Instead, it tells me I'm wise to give freely. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will prepay him for his deed. Proverbs 19, 17. Being generous because it's of God and because I, I, I just love without expectation, friends, makes me happy because I know God is pleased, and ultimately, he's going to care for me no matter what losses I go through. I trust what he has said, that he will supply all of my needs in Christ Jesus because he has invited me to his unlimited feast. I will lack no good thing. You know, today, if you were very, very rich, it might be easy to give without fear or without the need to be repaid. Maybe that's in theory, though, because many rich people do not because they fear the loss of their reputation or their status or their wealth. They, they, they fear making a bad investment with their wealth. But according to Proverbs 19.17, is generosity ever a bad investment? According to that verse, is it ever a bad investment? No. Is it a loss? No. Someone with unlimited resources has guaranteed your investments. 
haven't they? Transactional love always has the potential for loss. Freely loving people who you don't expect repayment from is always a gain. God has promised to repay the love we have given away. And we glorify him in our love and his joy is multiplied because we are demonstrating faith in him. He will repay us. Loving like this is freedom, friends. Transactional love is slavery. Transactional love makes you fear man, which is a trap and a snare. But when you love because you fear or respect God's love for you, you're set free. Jesus tells this parable to a a separatist, a, a man full of fear, full of the fear of man. He's worried about what all his buddies will think. And he tells him this to free him from an emotional and eternal death trap, the one he's already in. And then he says something the Pharisee should believe. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The Pharisee believed already in eternal life. They, they believed that they would have a resurrected body. That was part of the Pharisee's beliefs. For that is what the word of God teaches. But he was trying to make everything fair, you see, in his life by transacting his love. His theological view of God was incorrect. He wanted life to be fair and for life to play by his rules of transactional love. But God designed us for much more than fair. Friends, he designed us for grace. Every bit of love we give is given back to us at the resurrection. Believing that there is a resurrection is not enough. It's believing in the nature of the one who brings us to resurrection. Resurrection is more than living forever. Friends, it's a promise. You will be blessed. You will live happily ever after. And friends, that promise helps us survive the inequity we feel in life. And it even can help us find joy in the inequity we feel in life. Jesus has invited us to the table of his joy forever. He says, you will be blessed. If if you will learn to be a blessing to others and freely give your love away. Jesus is seeking for us to learn to make the best investment, an eternal one, by learning to love freely. The affections of men and women, even our family and friends, are fleeting. They're temporary. People are fickle. And if our hearts are overly invested there, our joy can be stolen. But if we invest our hearts in God's love for us and and for others, joy is certain. The good news is Jesus is promising seeing the truth of the resurrection to us all. Pharisees believed in resurrection because it was part of God's word. And Jesus wanted this transactionally minded guy to know that the word says that he will be repaid because somehow he missed it in God's word. In Daniel 12, 1 through 3, it says, But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake, some to everlasting life some to shame and everlasting contempt and those who are wise shall shine 
like the brightness of the sky above. And those who, who many turn to righteousness, who invite, like the stars forever, ever. Disciples learn to love by inviting others freely into God's eternal joy, no matter the personal cost or gain. He will bring others to the table by serving them in love. We are made for righteousness. We are made to shine like the stars for everyone and demonstrate we believe in God's goodness and that he will repay us even in the unfair situations of this life. And, and, and we find joy when we finally step off the rat race of human transactional love and learn to believe in his love for us. That's when we'll become fat or well-nourished by his love for us. We will join the family table and invite others and, and come to share in the feast of his love. Beloved, we can only give what we have received. God's word says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 10. Before the foundations of this earth, God decided to invest his love in you. And it doesn't matter that you have paid his love back to him poorly. Maybe poorly at best. And it does not matter that you've been crippled or broken by your sins attempting to find love in transaction. And it doesn't matter that you and I are often blind and ungrateful to the love that he gives us, and that's really lame. God decided to love you anyways. And because he decided to love you anyways, he sent his son to repay good for your sin. He says this in the Bible, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus died as our invitation, our invitation for you and I to come to the table of God's love forever. He was buried in a tomb, and then three days later, Jesus, that man, walked out of the grave alive again to prove God's promise of resurrection. Jesus was faithful to sacrificially love those like us who were so bankrupt in sin that we could not pay him back. God gave him the authority to cancel our debt. And he also gave him the authority to enact judgment. In John 5, 28 and 29, it says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Beloved, the good news is we're all going to be resurrected. And those who believe in the majesty of God's love for him, them are invited into an eternal relationship of joy with the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They are forgiven their debt of sin, and they will feast on him forever, feast on his love with new bodies in his kingdom. It, it, heaven's going to be like our family dinners. We're going to be praising God and we're going to be feasting together with new bodies. But those who reject God's invitation to love will be judged guilty of their sins. And they will be thrown alive to suffer forever in hell's fiery prison. Friends, 
the, the proof. You have been accepted his, that he has invited you to the table, that, that he rose from the grave. That's proof of his love, that he came for us. And he desires for you to come to his table. And he desires you to invite others to share in his love. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Today, Jesus is inviting you all into a feast of joy. He is inviting you to learn to love, not like the world does, but like his Father does. Today, will you humble yourself and accept his love and, and join him in loving others? Don't reject his invitation and suffer. For Jesus wants none to perish. They only will if they reject him. You have traded if you have traded his love for the cheap transactions trying to find love in the opinions of men, today, flee that trap and fear, dwell on, praise his awesome love for you today. Now is the time to repent of transactional love and to feast on his love and then pour that love out to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, when I was miserable in my sin and, and desperate, that, Lord, you came to me. That you made an invitation for me to come into your fellowship. And Father, I thank you and I praise you for that. And today you're making that same invitation and I'm making that invitation. If there's anybody here, Lord, that is not in fellowship with you, that, that is, is seeing you as a transacting God and not seeing your amazing love for them. Father, I, I pray today that they will turn and they will feast on your love, that they will turn from their sin, the, the sin that is caused by transactional love, and turn to you and find freedom and find forgiveness and find peace in their life. Father, I pray that they would trust in you and, and that they would call you Lord because you are the master of love and that they would choose to follow you to learn how to love like you do. Lord God, I pray that you would do that. And if they do, if they're willing to accept that invitation, you will freely give them forgiveness of all their sins and you will freely give them the gift of eternal life in joy and in bliss. Father, we praise you for the work that you are doing right now. Father, uh, Lord, lead them to you. Father, I thank you and I praise you for the work you're doing right now. Father, let us celebrate your love in song. In Jesus' name, I pray.